little parched already, so thank you. Well, I said we were getting close in communion to having an altar call, and I figured, hey, just go ahead and do it. If revival can come through communion, I believe salvation can too. What's the difference? The messages, uh, maybe for the last month from Pastor Rick, have been talking about revival. And we're going to talk about that today, but I also want to talk about salvation and what is the difference in the obvious definition for revival, and I know there's some nurses here, um, but the, the root word is vive, which is life, and then re means for, for life to re-enter. It's an awakening. And it's just an interesting concept throughout the Bible. Really, the, the word revival is not used a lot, especially in the King James Version. I, I looked at, and especially not in the New Testament, but the concepts are there. And, and really, it's, it's in the Old Testament, there's the early reigns and the latter reigns, and there's a lot of references to revival. And they're in the New Testament as well, of course, when we hear uh, and read about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But I do think it includes salvation. And I was uh, interesting, there are some things that happened this week, and I wasn't sure of the topic and what to speak about revival and salvation, and uh, as Rick's been speaking about revival, it's been on my heart and on my mind, and, but what comes to me is the old tent meetings, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of revivals, and uh, John Sabatino introduced me uh, to a guy this week, and he's a Mennonite guy who quickly got on to um, the question about religion. He asked if I was a believer, and then asked where I went to church, and I said, the Fellowship of the Beloved uh, in Hanoverton. He said, oh, those were those folks that used to meet in the tent. And I said, yeah, I, I went there at, when it was still the tent. And he said, well, how about that? A tent meeting or a revival meeting every Sunday. And I said, yeah. Sue Sabatino had, had told us about this church, I don't know, 15 years ago when we, we started coming here maybe. Maybe longer. And um, and she told us they, they meet in a tent, and you need to experience that. And so my thoughts were, you know, these people hooting and hollering and raising their hands and praising the Lord and crazy stuff like that. And I was right. <laughs> but those revivals uh, throughout history, especially in the last century, were, were not just um, about re revival for existing believers, but it was about bringing new, new people into the fold. It was for their families and people in the community who hadn't committed to Christ yet. And uh, I don't know if any of you uh, watched The Waltons or, had, you know, it's an old show, but it's in reruns now, and it's one of my favorite shows. And so uh, a few days ago, again, I still hadn't d decided exactly what to talk about. Well, episode of The Waltons came on called The Revival. And uh, I, I always liked this show because Earl Hamner created these characters based on his own family um, and his own childhood. And this particular uh, episode that I watched this week, they, they would have a yearly revival on Walton's Mountain, and uh, of course they were, they were Baptists, and it's what I had, uh, which I had in my mind for the revival. So they had a fire and brimstone pe preacher who would, who would come in, this, and he was on the radio and kind of famous, so they were all excited. Um, 
except for John Sr., if you, if you know the Waltons, he wasn't a, a churchgoer, although he, he led a life of Christ, but um, uh, he, he worked on Sundays. So they got him to go to this revival, and, and this, this preacher's, you know, pounding, uh, pound, you know, raising the Bible and screaming and sweating, and the children were scared, and it's storming outside and lightning, and, uh, and John walked out. He had enough, and he, he left the revival stepped out into the rain, and his wife, Olivia, followed him out there and said, he's fighting for your soul. And, and John just said, I, I won't be shouted at. And uh, it just uh, stuck with me because that was in my mind as the old-time revival uh, and, and shouting and, you know, and maybe some fear as your, your choice, heaven or, heaven or hell. And uh, I don't think Revivals today are planned like that by denominations. I think they're more of a grassroots movement like what Rick and Phyllis and, and the others are at this week um, with Lou Engel. But, but the Catholic Church right now is very involved in revival coming through communion, and I would uh, pay attention to that. My own revival came uh, also with Sue Sabatino uh, playing the song uh, uh, Softly and Tenderly, and that's a uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be yelled at either. I was drawn more by, um, uh, by some other things. And it was um, uh, in about 2000. And, and I've told this story before. Pam's uh, father had died in a car wreck in, in the year 2000. I was 36 years old, hadn't committed my life to Christ. Uh, but I started having questions when I realized that this life was finite. And, and I was curious, um, you know, what was next? So I'm, I'm interested in other people's salvation stories. Um, we've heard some pastor mention his a couple times, and he was only 12 years old, and, and this was in, in Robertsville, he said, I think in the 60s, and, and even at, at a young age, he, he was, uh, I think, just, just weeping in this release um, by coming to Christ. And so... I believe it's important that we share our stories and, again, acknowledge it before God, encourage the rest of the body. And um, so I'm interested if anybody else would like to share if there was a revival when you came to Christ. Um, I know people that, who, who became believers at Billy Graham Crusades. Um, anybody have a story like that? Anybody that hasn't taken this mic before, uh, I'd uh, ask you to come up and share. These are uh, in, in, important, or they're, sometimes they're personal, and I understand that, but they, they tell of our, uh, of our revival, it's, it, and it's our salvation. There was a point in our lives where we weren't believers, and maybe some of you, you know, it came at such a young age, you don't remember the day. But for me personally, I was not just lost, I was, I was dead, and when I realized, and, and so my pastor was Jim Houston, when Pam and I first started going to church, and I had a lot of questions about, you know, who Jesus was, and um, was he real? Did he, did he really die and rise again, and could he forgive my sins? And it was yes, yes, yes. And, you know, I studied those things and had those questions, and I, and I when I walked forward that day, I really believed that new life was uh, literally breathed into me. So last chance, anybody, anybody want to share uh, anything today? Okay, great.
Uh, if you would then, turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14. So a couple other uh, confirmations. On Tuesday, again, still didn't know what, what I wanted to preach on, this verse came up, 2 Chronicles 7.14. I have a U version uh, on my phone. It's an app, and it has a verse of the day. And this was the verse of the day on Tuesday. And started looking at it more closely and decided to have a message about it. This morning when we woke up, well, Pam and I had been up a couple hours and had breakfast and uh, communion, and uh, she turned on her computer, and when her computer turns on, the time pops up. So she hit power, and the screen popped up, and it was 7.14. So I don't know. I don't think it's coincidence. But it's a great verse because it speaks to both our nation as a whole, and I know we're praying for that revival, but it speaks to us personally, our own, our own deliverance. And I want you to listen closely. Um, well, let me go ahead and read it, and we'll, we'll talk about a, a few other things. So it starts out, If my people, who are called by my name, one, will humble themselves, two, will pray and seek my face, Three, will turn from their wicked ways. Then, one, I will hear from heaven. Two, I will forgive their sins. And three, I will heal their land. And I want to look at the second half of the verse uh, to begin the message. So the words that come after the word then. And I love these if-then statements because it says, if you do this, then this will happen. And, and, and the, the second half of this verse is really God's part. And then we'll go back to the if statements in a minute. So the three, the three statements after then, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So when God hears us, there's forgiveness of our sins and there's healing of our land. It's exactly what we've been praying for. And, it, and it's, again, it's salvation and revival. This, this scripture in Second Chronicles, it was God telling Solomon to build the temple. And he chose the place, he said, where his name, his eyes, and his heart would be forever. And then God told Solomon, if you turn away from me, you will be uprooted. And this is the warning. So the land, the land was founded on faith, and they built a temple in which to worship. They asked that God would continue to bless the land. But leaders put their own interests ahead of God. They, uh, uh, their, they power and greed and lust is, is the gods that they uh, soon would worship. And God's commandments and his provision and the blessings and even the very life that God gave them through children were deemed unimportant. And I thought that sounded real familiar to what's happening today. I believe our nation is at a tipping point because we're turning away from God and I think we're close to being uprooted, but I believe it won't happen if we are called by his name, if we humble ourselves, if we seek his face and pray, and if we turn back towards God. So when we pray for revival, we're praying for our leaders, uh, for the sins of our nation, and we pray for our own sins, for our own salvation. I also want to read 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 about turning back to God. 1 John 1, 9, 
It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, and he will forgive our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's important, again, another scripture that tells us he will hear us, he will forgive us, and he will heal our land. We pray for confessions by the leaders of our country and our own confessions, and they require humility. And that's the first topic um, that I want to get to on humility. I want to read the parable of the lost son, uh, and it's Luke 15. I'm going to read verses 11 through 24. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between the two sons. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. <clears throat> He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him every, anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and no longer am I worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, for we will celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And there's many sermons from this parable. I see them mostly through the father's eyes now. But I ask you when you hear it how you would celebrate if a child of yours was on the wrong path and turned to come home. And the majority of the sermons that you hear on this parable are about forgiveness, but I want to focus on the humility, and I never really noticed it um, until recently, but the humility in the, par in the parable, the son wasn't just unhappy where he was at, he was repentant about what got him there. The pride and greed and, and lust, and he wasn't just going home to get out of the pig pen, he was going home for forgiveness. And I like that he rehearsed what he would say to his father, he said it ahead of time, I will say to my father that I have sinned against heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So it's the, it's the picture, a perfect picture of a contrite heart of, of, of true repentance. So keeping in mind that humility, I want to go back to Second Chronicles. And now this, this is our part. If you want forgiveness and, and you want your land to be healed... God says, if you do this, then I will do these things. So the verse starts with if, and if means you have a choice, right? 
if my people who are called by my name, and I ask what you are called by, if someone asks you if you were a Christian, what do you say? Although no, no one came forward with a, <laughs> with a story, I assume everyone here has committed their lives to Christ and that we are all called by his name. If there's any question of it, I, I want you, uh, well, I want you to listen as I read in Acts chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. It says, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. So if there's any question, just because you're a Gentile, if you're not uh, uh, called his, this, this scripture answers, answers that, that you are uh, called by his name, if you choose to be. So God is talking to a collective group of people, but I think it, spurt, it speaks to each person here uh, personally. It, it should speak to your own personal salvation. He paid the price, but he does not force you to accept. He says, if you are called by my name. He doesn't force you to be humble or, or to pray or seek his face or turn from your wicked ways. He says, if you do these things. So it's your choice. And in the parable of the lost son, not only did the son show humility by his repentance, I believe the father did by his willingness to forgive. And I love that he didn't just quietly give forgiveness. I forgive you, you know, we're good. Uh, he said, let's celebrate. And he called out for them to bring a robe and put a ring on his finger. Uh, his forgiveness was phenomenal in that story. If you read further on in uh, several more verses, really the only... <clears throat> the only person not humble in that parable was the jealous brother. Uh, he was a loyal and obedient son, but he did not understand forgiveness. Um, uh, he did not understand true love, and he certainly didn't understand humility. The Greek word for humble is kana, and it literally means to become lower. In Matthew 23, 12, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So humility is the key uh, to our relationships because it requires us to become lower. It requires submission. The best example of that is marriage. I mentioned last week Pam and I had celebrated our 30th anniversary, and I think there's people in here much longer than that, closer to 50. Exactly 50? 49. 49 this year. Craig and Diane? 47. 47. Is humility uh, important in your, in your marriages? Yeah, I don't need to worry about it either. I'm, I'm usually, it's usually pointed out to me when I'm wrong. But. Yeah, part, uh, part of humility uh, is admitting when you're wrong. I'm sure that actually does. I'm sorry it has to be uh, a, a words that have been mentioned before in, uh, in, in your relationship. James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. And in verse 10 in that same chapter in James, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So for the revival of our country, 
for our personal salvation, we need, number one, to be humble. In the next statement, it says um, that we need to pray and to seek the Lord's face. And I want to read from Jeremiah 29 um, and verses 10 through 14. Jeremiah 29. So starting in verse 10 there, it says, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So the plans are for a prosperous future, this, the scripture tells us. When we seek him with all our hearts. And another example of this is back in Second Chronicles, when Solomon was praying for the dedication of the temple, it was a chapter right next to what we just read. I want you to notice his surrender, how he humbled himself during this prayer in Second Chronicles. It says, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord and in front of the whole assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands. It says, he stood on the platform, and then he knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands towards the heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants and who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. And with your mouth you have promised, with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. So I mentioned before that communion is both personal and corporate, that intimate moment that we have with Jesus, and yet we do it together. It's, it's just so unique. I'm excited to hear um, what happened at Pikes Peak or to see it on YouTube and, and maybe experience it myself for this um, world communion revival and for the revelation knowledge that I, I believe uh, Pastor Rick is going to bring back to us. So I'm excited about the um, what's happening uh, in our understanding of Jesus and the power of his blood, being at the center of this revival and in our own personal revivals as well. I want us to be prepared to have knowledge and understanding about what true revival means. I want us to have the wisdom, what it means for our nation, for those around us, for those in our, in our families. I want to know God's part and our part and be prepared. At the Feast of Trumpets a couple weeks ago, I made a declaration that our, our nation was founded under unity and under the divine principles of God. I declared that we were called by his name. I declared that we are a humble people. I declared we would pray and seek his face and that our land would be healed. And so I just want to close, and I want to pray that over each of us individually and as, our, as, a, as a body, our, our church. If you would um, just receive this prayer, and we'll close.
Father, I just uh, thank you for the, the blessing of this message. I ask that it be sealed on our hearts. I ask that we are people who are called by your name, that each of us has chosen to be called by your name. I pray that we are people that would pray and seek you, seek you with all of our heart, and that we would find you. I pray that you would find us to be a humbled people, that we would have humility in our relationships with one another and with you. I pray that you would find us thankful and grateful and that you will heal us. Pray for healing over our land, for our leaders. But for this body here and the people who have heard this message, I pray that their land be healed, that their, that their homes be safe, that the people and their families be saved. that the people around them in their community would see them as your followers, humbled and obedient. And I pray for wisdom and revelation for each person here on, on this message of, of what your, the power of your blood. The power of what it meant the, the day we accepted you. into our hearts and to lead our lives and the power it means each time that we take communion. I ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes, Father, we ask that uh, <clears throat> you come do what you will do. We are here for you. The miracles that we're saying about the wonders are for this room and they're not for next week or next month or for today. So do what you do, Father, in this room. We've come awful close in some communion messages to just having an outright altar call for salvation. And maybe we even have, but I want us to think about our salvation this morning. Because you have a story to tell, and I want you to think about how many years ago and, and the moment when it took place, where you were at or what song was playing. Recall the, recall the details when you surrendered and committed to Christ. And even later on in the message, uh, there'll, there'll be time I encourage you. I, I want somebody to come forward and, and to tell that story. It, it needs to be acknowledged before God and it's an encouragement to the rest of the body. So think about your salvation this morning. Pastor's been talking about revival coming through communion and I believe salvation comes through communion as well. Jesus is at the center of both, and more importantly, our acknowledging the power of his blood is at the center of both events. The moment when you committed to Christ, you acknowledged the power of his blood to set you free. And when you take communion this moment, 
you, you have the same acknowledgement that, that only his blood can wash away your sins. You can't take communion without acknowledging who Jesus is, and you can't, you can't take the bread or the cup without acknowledging, knowing in your heart and in your spirit, the power of the blood to wash away your sins. So uh, come forward, believers, and, and let's take communion together. And I want you to take your time this morning when you take the bread and the cup. Maybe stay here at the altar and recall that time um, of, of your salvation when you committed. Acknowledge it before God this morning and, and, and recall what he has done for you. So let's commune. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, if there's one in here who wants to commit, come forward. Tap me on the shoulder during this last communion song and, and we'll pray.